Well, we're in a series in the book of Malachi, so if you would find your Bibles open before you, Malachi chapter 2, Malachi chapter 2, and uh, Numbers chapter 25, Malachi chapter 2, which is right before Matthew in the New Testament, and Numbers, which is in the beginning of your Bible. Uh, Numbers 25, and we're going to read Malachi chapter 2, 1 through 8. Well, when we get to to Malachi, in case you haven't been with us in our series, Malachi is the last prophet in the Old Testament. His congregation, so to speak, the people, the Israelites, have grown tired of waiting on God. God's just not doing what they thought he would do. He's not doing it fast enough. And as they they were called to stand and wait faithfully, this waiting has created an erosion in their faith. And we saw this from chapter 1, that they began to question whether God really loved them. And um, then in chapter 2, because they weren't certain that God really loved them, they figured that it didn't matter uh, what they brought God. They first questioned that, you know, Was he really relevant? Did he really love us? Because it didn't seem as if uh, he was doing what we would want him to do. And they began to question his character. And then, of course, once you're questioning God's character, when you come into the worship service, you're questioning the value of your sacrifice. Does it really matter what I give? And they weren't bringing their best sacrifices. They were bringing their blemished sacrifices. They weren't bringing their best. They were bringing what they were going to put in a garage sale anyway. And the biggest problem, and we know it's the biggest problem because Malachi spends about 30% of his letter on this particular issue, is that uh, there's a problem in the leadership. The leadership is actually steering the people into sin, and they're stumbling badly instead of steering them away from sin. And so we had the first part of that sermon now a couple of weeks ago in chapter 1, beginning in verse 6 to the end of the chapter, verse 14, is essentially Malachi coming in the voice of the Lord and making an indictment, saying, I'm charging you with this behavior. And so we talked about this, and then we make this transition, and you can see it in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, and now. So now he's moving towards this great warning that he's going to give the, the leaders, the priests. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 to verse 9. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart, Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. 
but you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Let's take a moment to, together to reflect on God's word. Again, if you don't have a Bible, it's really be helpful. It's always helpful, but it's particularly helpful for you today to have one. So there's one in front of you. If you have one on a, a phone or an iPad or something, it would be helpful to be looking at it today. Because I want to begin in Numbers chapter 25. I want to retell a very sobering and very disturbing yet very important Story. It's a story that takes place a thousand years before Malachi, but it has a direct connection to Malachi chapter 2. It has a direct connection to the cross, and it has a direct connection to each one of us here. So I want to start by telling this story, and uh, we can think about it for ourselves, but it's also especially a story for people who find themselves in position of Christian leadership in any Anyway, so Numbers chapter 25. In Numbers 25, we find the people of God or the Israelites nearing their 40 years of wandering. They're on the east side of the Jordan River. This is very near the end of Moses' life. And so they're sort of gathered up together on the east side of the Jordan River. If you, if you looked over the valley where the Jordan River ran, you would look into Jericho. And they find themselves uh, here between the, the slavery that they had known in Egypt, and they've been called out of that, and they're nearing the, the freedom of being in the promised land. And what's sad and frustrating about this particular account is how utterly unfaithful and bitter uh, and immoral and complaining the Israelites had become in spite of or maybe in the face of God's incredible faithfulness. Here, here he's been so faithful. He's, he's called them out. He's provided food. He's providing clothes that don't wear out. He's provided protection in all kinds of ways. He's provided water miraculously. He's just done everything vis- visual that you could possibly imagine. And it's been time and time again, but still in the face of that, uh, the people of God are are moving away from him. And in Numbers 25, we're, uh, find our, we find the Israelites camping out in an area called Moab. And the, the inhabitants of Moab are called the Moabites and the Midianites. And they were enemies of God's people. And they worshipped an evil and wicked god called uh, Baal Peor. Baal Peor. In fact, the the king, and you could read about this later today if you want to go back in just Numbers 22, 23, and 24. The king of Moab was a guy named Balak, B-A-L-A-K. So Balak was the king. He didn't like the Israelites being in his territory, so he went and found a very famous sorcerer, a guy named Balaam. So it's Balak and Balaam. 
And Balak takes Balaam, the sorcerer, who's well known for casting spells on people, and he takes him to this high mountain. And on this mountain, they make a sacrifice to this Baal Peor, this god. And Balak and Balaam are sitting there, and Balak is paying Balaam. I know this gets confusing. But Balak the king is paying Balaam and encouraging Balaam, cast a spell down on the Israelites who are down in the valley. And so that's what's happening in Numbers 22, 23, and 24. You're, you're up on this mountain and the king and sort of the, the king's sorcerer are there and they're making a sacrifice and Balak and Balaam are wanting to cast this curse or cast this spell down on God's people. And God miraculously intervenes and he, he makes it so that Balaam cannot cast a curse on people, God's people. And so every time he opens his mouth to say, I'm going to curse you, what comes out is a blessing. And Balak is standing there going, that's not a curse, that's a blessing. And they basically try it again. And so Balak is going to cast this curse down, and God intervenes, and he casts a blessing down. So that's what's happening in Numbers 22, 23, and 24. That's what's happening on the mountain. God is faithfully protecting, he's faithfully intervening for his people. And when we turn to Chapter 25, the action moves from the top of the mountain down to the street level, you might say. And and we get to find out what's happening in the lives of God's people in Numbers 25. Let's read the first few verses. While Israel lived in Satim, this is a town in Moab, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited, these invited the people to sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to worship their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. I mean, it's a frustrating contrast, is it not? I mean, here God has been so faithful all along, but now at this particular point, really even unbeknownst to the Israelites, the king is trying to get this curse cast down on them, and God's even intervening at that particular point. But then when we move down to to the street level, we we find that God's people are volunteering, volunteering to engage in sexual immorality and volunteering to bow down to other gods. Maybe they had gotten tired of wandering. I mean, it had been 40 years. Maybe the men got tired of looking at the other Israelite women. And they got to Moab, and the Moabite women or the Midianite women looked different. And that sparked some interest in some of the men there. And maybe they just, like a, like a dumb ox, got led to slaughter and started sleeping with the enemy. Maybe they were tired of the same food. So, hey, here's a different God, and listen, it's got different food on the table, and I'm tired of eating the same food. Uh, maybe they thought, not nah, to heck with the promised land. I mean, I'm going to do what I want to do. I've been wandering for 40 years. It's time, my life's getting over. I, it's time for me to do what I want to do. Maybe they thought that God didn't really care about their behavior. Maybe they thought it was okay to refer to themselves as God's people, but still engage in the ways of the world. 
I mean, we can't be sure what their thinking was. But we can be sure that God cares. He, he really cares about the behavior of those who are calling themselves by his name. Because we see in verse 3, So Israel yoked himself, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Verse 4, And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs, see, all the leaders of the people, all the ones who have been engaged in this behavior, hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal Peor. Moses takes the leaders and hangs them in broad daylight. Those who previously had promised and yoked themselves to God, who were called God's chosen people, God's special people, God's people who had been rescued from slavery, those people who said they had promised themselves to him and now have decided, hey, I'd rather just put that on hold and live for myself in the world, those people who are trying to hold on to both of those worlds at the same time, Moses says, or God instructs Moses to take those people and especially those leaders, and hang them in broad daylight. So I think we can say that God takes sin seriously. I think we can say God cares about the behavior of those people who call themselves by his name. While the leaders' bodies are hanging in the sun, we see from verse 9 of chapter 25, a plague breaks out among the people. In addition to the leaders that are hanging in the sun, 24,000 people die in a plague. Verse 6. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. Moses has uh, done what God has said, and now he's at the tent of meeting. He's at the, this um, mobile sanctuary, this place where heaven and earth collide, where God had said, I'm going to be with my people, and I'm going to be with them in this particular sanctuary, this tent that the people were taking around with them for 40 years. And, and I don't know if they're not inside because they're too afraid to even get inside. But they're at least at this entrance as Moses is there. All the other leaders who had kept themselves clean are there. The people who have not yet died of the plague are there. And they're all in this great prayer meeting of repentance. And right in the middle of that, an Israelite man, who's later in the chapter we learn his name is Zimri, he brings his Midianite mistress right in the front of Moses during this prayer meeting right in front of the people. And so as they're all gathered to pray, afraid to even go in, this man takes this woman and marches in front of the whole congregation and then goes into his tent for a different kind of meeting. It's, it's, a, it's an in-your-face 
Moses kind of move. It's, a, it's an in-your-face people kind of move. It's an in-your-face God kind of move. Zimri apparently thought he could be an Israelite and an idolater at the same time. Zimri apparently thought that he could glorify God and gorge on the world's delights at the same time. Verse 7 is a turning point. When Phineas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose, he left the congregation, he took a spear in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them. The man of Israel and the woman threw her belly. Thus the plague of the people of Israel was stopped. A man, one man named Phineas, a priest. Aaron is his grandfather. Aaron is the first priest. Remember, Aaron is Moses' right-hand man. And so we've got this preacher's kid who's at this meeting, and he gets up, he sees what happened, he gets up, he grabs a spear, And he follows Zimri and the mistress into the chamber, into the bedroom. And he takes the spear and he drives it through the man and then in through the woman. One honorable, God-fearing priest took a spear and stopped the destruction of God's people. One honorable God-fearing priest took the spear and stopped the destruction of God's people. Now let's listen to the Lord's response in verse 10. And the Lord said to Moses, now now how is the Lord going to respond to this? Phineas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel. And that he was jealous with my jealousy among them. So that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore, say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. And it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood. Because he was jealous for his God and he made atonement for the people of Israel. So, so one man comes in and he turns away the wrath of God. The, the priority for this priest was the honor of God's name. And because he was willing to honor God's name above everything else, God says, therefore, I'm going to make this covenant. And, and he's going to be the, the new priesthood in this line. He's going to be the Levite. He's going to be the priest that brings peace. Everybody should fall in line after him who's going to be A priest, a a true priest, a true mediator between God and man is the one who brings peace, who's jealous for God, who will take a spear and make atonement for his people. So in Numbers 25, God makes this covenant with Phineas and, and Phineas becomes this role model. So let's now turn to Malachi chapter two, a thousand years later. Now you realize when you turn... All these pages in your Bible, 
to Malachi, you don't get the same sense if you're on a phone, do you? It's not, I mean, a phone is just Malachi chapter 2. But this is a lot of pages if you have a real Bible. Some of you don't know what that looks like, so let me show you. But this is a thousand years. And you know what this thousand years is like for God? One day. So it's a thousand years for us, but it's just one day later we arrive in Malachi chapter 2. And let's see what's happening here in Malachi chapter 2. Oh, priests. You, you, verse 2, you're not listening to me. And then notice, you don't take it to heart to give honor to my name. So I'm going to bring a curse. In fact, this curse is going to expose you for being a phony. When, when you or the people bring this sacrifice up and you're cleaning out the dung on, in the sacrifice and you're casting it aside so it can be taken out of the city, I'm going to take that dung and I'm going to put it on your face. Again, I think we can say God cares about your behavior. I don't think you would read this and say, I guess it really doesn't matter what I do. Because I'm going to put it on your face, meaning everyone's going to see you, the priest, you, the leader, that you're a phony. I'm going to make sure everyone sees that you're not going the right way because you're steering people into sin, not steering them away from sin. The priests have failed to to honor God's name. And one of the main reasons they did that was, or the main reasons how they did that is in the earlier verses of chapter 1. They came to the altar with a blind or lame or diseased animal. They, they weren't giving their best. They were giving what was blemished. They were saying, well, God, he just gets what's left over in my life. I mean, if I have any money left over at the end of the, at the, end of the paycheck, he might get some. If I have any time left over in the day, he might get some. If I have any resources, I have any talents. I mean, I've got to give them to everybody else first and just whatever might be left over, I'll try to scrape that up and give it to God. That's what was happening. And we notice that God does care. He cares about whether we're giving or bringing our best or whether we're giving or bringing what is blemished. And he seems to especially care about the actions of the leaders. See, verse 5, I had a covenant with him, the priest. It's, it started back here with Phineas. I made this covenant, and I had a covenant, and I gave it to him. It was a covenant made out of fear. He feared me. He stood in all of my name. I wanted a priest. I wanted a succession of priests who would stand in all of my name, who would give true instruction, verse 6. No wrong would be found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. He turned many from iniquity. He guarded knowledge. People came to him for true instruction. God's still looking for that kind of leadership. And when he comes to Malachi chapter 2 and examines the leaders, it's, it's woefully lacking. Verse 8. See, you've turned aside from the way. The, the, these leaders who are supposed to be out front and say, go this way, go this way. They've turned aside. 
And they've caused many people to stumble by their instruction. You've corrupted this covenant that I had with Levi, says the Lord. And so I make you despised. When you, when you drop down to the street level in Malachi's congregation, if you follow them home after the worship service, they don't look a lot different than the Israelites in Numbers 25. I mean, yeah, when they, when you, when they all get together maybe here on a Sunday morning at 1030, everybody looks okay. Everybody's sort of saying the right things. Everybody's doing the right kinds of things and, and sort of making the promises. But, but if you filtered back out into their homes, if you could filter back out into their lives, if you could filter back out into their checkbook, if you could filter back out into their minds, they're, they're holding on to idols just like the people in Numbers 25, just like the leaders here in Malachi. They, they don't really look much different than the pagan world that surrounds them. And foolishly, they have believed that God doesn't really care or notice. So let me draw, let me finish by just drawing some, maybe some obvious conclusions, and then we'll have a time to pray together. The first thing we observe from these two passages that leads us to the cross is that we need a new priest. We need a, even a better priest than Phineas. Because Phineas could do something that stopped, stopped a plague that happened in Numbers 25. But we need somebody who can stand up and stop a plague that happens in my life right now. This plague of sin. We need a new priest who can come in. Who will keep the covenant. Who can eternally put sin to death. Who can stand in awe of God's name. Who offers true instructions. And whose faithfulness will turn many people away from sin. Someone like Phineas who can take a spear and stop the destruction of sin. What true priest has taken a spear and stopped the destruction of sin? John 19 tells us Jesus is hanging on the cross knowing all that was completed, said, I am thirsty. And when Jesus received a drink, he said, it's finished. And with that, he bowed his head, he gave up his spirit. Then to make sure Jesus was dead, a soldier pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. See, Jesus is the, is the true and the final priest who comes, but instead of taking a spear and using it against sin, which would not be to our benefit, what does he do? He, t- he takes the spear for our sin. This is the incredible gospel. Here, a priest is coming, the real priest, the the true priest. And instead of him taking a spear and coming into your tent and coming into my tent and finding things that I wouldn't want anyone to know and saying, see, Paul, you're guilty. That's what I would deserve. But what does he do? He comes in and says, you're guilty, so I'm going to take the spear. One of us has to take the spear. It's either you or me. And the gospel 
is that he sees all the things that are happening in the tent of your own mind. And he says, hey, I'm going to take the spear. So, so we need that kind of priest because of our own behavior. None of us are very far from the behavior of the priest in Malachi 2 or the people in Numbers 25. Second conclusion. God really cares about the behavior of those people who call themselves by his name. I'm not saying he doesn't care about people who don't, about other people's behavior who don't call themselves a Christian. But if you call yourself a Christian, you're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm identifying with this person that I'm following. I'm, I'm calling myself a Christian. And so God really cares about your sacrifices. He knows if you're giving what's best or what's blemished. He's especially concerned about the attitude of the leaders. So if you're the pastor, if you're an elder, if you're a parent, if you're in any kind of leadership position where you're exerting your leadership over a group of people, we have to ask ourselves, is our behavior turning people into sin? Or is it turning people away from sin? Number three, perhaps someone here this morning Here's this, really it's a gruesome story, is it not? I mean, both accounts are gruesome. Numbers 25, Malachi, and what Jesus or God's going to do with the dung. And you could think, that's so archaic. I mean, that's so Old Testament. Phineas and God sound like they have anger management problems. I mean, isn't the reaction extreme? I mean, does, does it really matter that much? I mean, is it some other way sin can be dealt with in some more rational way? That's a pretty easy thing to think when you read this in the Old Testament. And if something like that is part of your thinking, then I would suggest you've fallen victim to the same virus which infected the Israelites and Malachi's congregation. And that sin causes you to grossly miscalculate the holiness of God and the depravity of man. Sin causes you to bring God down and say, he's really just like a grandfather who's going to say, ah, it's okay. And he's not like a grandfather who's going to say, ah, it's okay. And you know he's not going to do it that way because of the cross. Sin also causes you to grossly miscalculate your own condition. And the main way that comes out is, I'm not as bad as the person sitting next to me. Or the person in front. Or the person that's sitting at home. It's a gruesome story to help us see how ugly our sin really is. And how great the sacrifice of God is. Finally, number four, what sin in your life needs to be met with a spear of God's honor? God cares about your behavior. 
I can't see into the tent of your own house. I can't see into the tent of your own mind. I don't know what idols you're holding on to at the same time you're trying to hold on to God. But whatever that is, it needs to meet the spear of God's honor. That his honor is greater than whatever you're getting from this idol. And it needs to be addressed radically. You you can't negotiate with sin. Well, I'll give you up 10% today and then another 10% tomorrow. And then in 10 days, I'll be all free of sin. You know what? You're going to be more wrapped around sin in 10 days than when you were when you began. That's how sin works. It's so deceptive in how you think about it. But what Numbers is telling us is there's some sin, there's some idol in your life, especially if you're calling yourself a Christian, you're going to have to take a spear and you're going to have to run it all the way through. And you're going to do it because of God's honor. Not to get God to love you, but because God has loved you. It's a big difference in your motive. This is a heavy, heavy sermon. And so I don't know where you might find yourself this morning. You might find yourself saying... I don't know. I don't think it really matters what I do. And I would just say when you die and you meet God and everybody meets God. A tip of a spear known as God wrath, God's wrath is rushing at you at incredible speed. And you have to ask yourself, what's in between me and that spear? And I can say. Somebody who's already taken the spear. Praise the Lord. But maybe you can say that, but you're still holding on. You somehow don't think it really matters that much. Like God doesn't really notice that kind of stuff. He's he's like too busy running the world to notice what's happening in my tent. He He knows. He knows. And it may be you're a Christian and it's just time to say, I've got to take a spear because of God's honor and I've got to run it through today. After the service, I'll be up here, another elder will be up here. If it's helpful for you to have somebody to pray for you, we want to offer that. But let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, these things are written down for our instruction lest anyone take too much pride in himself or herself and fall. So I I don't have any way to know and I don't have any way to control the message of your Holy Spirit. I don't want to. But I'm quite certain that you're you're bringing to, to bear some conviction. And I pray for my friends here that they would respond. They, they wouldn't say, well, you know, I'm going to think about that next week. But they're going to begin to take definite steps today because of your honor. To move with a, a speed against sin. And Heavenly Father, for those who have been or here that in a place that I have been before of not really knowing you. And fearing standing before you with nobody in between. Today could be the day. 
that they see Jesus enough to say yes. We pray for your work to be done, not only in this room, but in our community and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen.